Mark chapter 15. We're going to be soon finished with the book of Mark, but I have really enjoyed and appreciated what I've learned in this study of of the book of Mark. Preach through every verse, every chapter, and some exciting verses, but also heartbreaking verses this morning. Mark chapter 15, we'll begin with verse 15. Randy, if we might sing the old record cross at the end of the service, I will emphasize the last verse of that psalm. We need to bear the cross. We need to carry our cross. A lot of people think that's the arthritis in your left elbow, but that's not what the cross means. And we'll be preaching on that this morning about the bearing the cross, the road to Calvary. I want you to pray for my dear friend. I can't get him off my mind, Brother Gary. Ledford is preaching his 90th, not his 90th, but the church's 90th homecoming service. And Stephen tried to talk him out of it. He said, I got the message, but uh, he's insisting on preaching uh, this morning. And then we'll have Darren on the ground. Start at 10.30, so he's probably just about finished. But I pray that he'll make it through that because he's very, very weak. And uh, when he preaches when he's very, very weak, Miss Linda is very, very concerned. And so uh, pray for him. Amen. And I think about, feel a little puny myself this morning. I said, I don't, I'm not even near sick compared to some of my friends. Brother Marvin Fowler went to be with the Lord. His funeral's at 2 o'clock this afternoon. I wish I could get up to Chattanooga in time to, to uh, uh, be there at his memorial service. A great man of God in our fellowship. He passed away uh, Friday morning very early, about 9 o'clock I think it was. And so pray for, that, pray for the Fowler family. Marvin Fowler, he preached many years uh, in a little church right across from Sam's Wholesale, that, old, that church right across the street, I forgot the name, East, East Brainerd Baptist Church, I believe it was, amen, so pray for him. All right, let's stand on the Word of God. I got all my prayer requests off my soul, that was a great special, and choir appreciated it so much, and all the uh, singing about Calvary goes right along with the message, that excites a preacher, and I'm excited about Sunday school, Amen. We had a good time down there at the Morningside Assisted Living, and uh, Brother uh, Andrew read the whole lesson uh, tremendously. It was just a good reading, and uh, we got a blessing out of it. He had me read all the scriptures, and we sang a duet, and we just had a good time. Pray for Pete that he'll get better. Amen. Verse 15, And so Pilate, uh, willing to contend the people, that sounds like a blooming politician, don't it, uh, release Barabbas unto them, and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. Now listen to this. And the soldiers led him away into a hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole band. That's over 600 soldiers. Called the whole band. And they clothed him with purple. Now listen to this. Get the picture. Planted a crown of thorns and put it upon his head. And they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him on the head with the reed and did spit upon him. And bowing their knees, worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him and put his own clothes on him and led him out to be crucif- to crucify him. And they compelled one Simon of Serenia, the uh, who passed by, coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. And they bring him into the place called Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of the skull. And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, 
but he received it not. When they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them that every man should take. It was the third hour, and they crucified him. You may be seated as I pray. Father, thank you for the beautiful singing. God, you are precious to me. Precious to these people, Lord, precious enough to be in Sunday school. Precious enough to put nothing before God on your day. That's precious. Lord, when it comes down to dying, it won't matter about these other things. God, when it comes to a matter of facing you face to face, you need to be precious, and you are precious because of the precious blood that you shed at Calvary many years ago for our sin. Lord, thank you for Calvary. Thank you for Calvary. Thank you, a thousand, oh, for a thousand tongues to praise your name for Calvary. So, Lord, help us not to get over it. And God, help us to demonstrate it by picking up our cross, your cross, excuse me, and following you with all our heart, all our soul, all our might. Lord, please move in the service. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. These verses talk about the aftermath of our Lord's trial, as I preached in the previous weeks, from the Jews all the way to Pilate. Both Jewish leaders and Roman government have condemned him to die. He was not worthy to die, but he was called to die for your sins. Amen? And folks, the Jews did it because they hated him. But I want to tell you why they hated Jesus. Because he claimed to be their Messiah, and he is, but not the kind of Messiah they wanted and they expected. They rejected him, and they sent him away to die because he was just not their kind of Messiah. He was a Messiah that died and was buried. Thank God they didn't realize this, but he would arise. And folks, they were looking for a Messiah Politically, they were looking for a Messiah to relieve them from oppression from the Roman government. They were looking for a Messiah like Barabbas, one that uh, committed murder and insurrection to, in the name of the Jewish nation. And that was their folk hero. That was their hero. And the one that did nothing, perfect, healed, touched people, saved people, they said, let him be crucified. Folks, I want to tell you something. It's a pitiful day when the world chooses the Messiahs of this world over the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Pilate condemned Jesus to death to save his position with the Rome and with Italy, excuse me, with, uh, with uh, Israel. Uh, Pilate violated every conviction he held. And he convicted a man who he knew was innocent and even his wife told him not to do it. Praise God, man, isn't that wonderful when your wife tells you not to do something? And then you do it on anyway, amen? And you get in big trouble. And then you come cowing home saying, you know, don't tell me you told me so, amen? I'll preach on that a little tonight about counsel of a good wife. But I want to tell you what he did. He allowed an innocent man to be crucified to ensure his earthly security. And in doing so, he condemned he was condemned to eternal death in hell. See, on the altar of political immediacy, he sacrificed the eternal. 
How many times do we on the altar of immediacy sacrifice the things of eternal? We want to feel good. And we want to do good. And we want to uh, have a good time. And, and we want the kingdom now. And, and we refuse to do what God wants us to do. And that's carry our cross, which is not always pleasant. And today I want you to see that as we follow Jesus from Pilate's judgment hall to Mount Calvary, what went on to our Lord on the path to Calvary. Number one, I want you to see Jesus and the soldiers. In verse 15, the Bible says, And so Pilate, willing to contend the people, to please the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus. And then this is what he did. And he had him, and he had, he had him scourged him to be crucified. Now, folks, I want you to know that scourging was enough to kill most people. Our Lord was all man. He wasn't some wimp. Amen? Uh, he was a man, man of all mans, but he was God. And they scourged him. And I believe, Pilate, the reason they scourged him, I mean, this is public humiliation. This is public brutality. is because he really didn't want to send him to the cross because his wife told him not to. No, because he found no fault in him. I love that song, I Should Have Been Crucified. <clears throat> we used to sing it when I was a youth pastor many, many hairs ago and many years ago. I mean, so long ago, I can't remember the, even the words of the song. But it says something about, I should have been crucified. And they led him away to took my pain and my agony. And that's exactly what happened. But I think about this uh, cat of nine tails. It was a, a whip that um, was about three or four foot long. It had pieces of metal and pieces of stone and, and all kinds of objects in it, and they would lash a person across their body 351 times, 39, 39 times uh, a cat of nine tails. And, and, and bone and metal in this whip would gouge out large chunks of flesh, the veins Sometimes arteries would be severed. Occasionally uh, an eye would be plucked out or an internal organ would literally be ripped from the victim's uh, uh, body. And men died from that beating alone. Now Isaiah prophesied about it. Isaiah said he'd be beat beyond uh, recognition in Isaiah chapter 50, uh, 2. And then Isaiah chapter 50, uh, verse 6, he talks again about uh, the cruel scourging of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it amazing? It's amazing to me that even details of the horrible treatment of the depravity of man against God was prophesied 700 years before the fact. In Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6, for instance, it says, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid my face from shame and spitting. That's 712 years before the fact, Isaiah sees Calvary, but also sees Pilate in his political effort to release Jesus, ripping his beard out and plucking his skin from the, from the furrows of, of the cat of nine tails, the flagon, the scorpion they called it, to try to get the people to pity him. 
and let him go. So not only did I see the scourging, but in verse 16 through 20, back in our text, please, we see the scoffing. The whole band of soldiers, these soldiers led away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole band. Now that wasn't a band that played like a rock and roll band. That was over 600 soldiers that were commissioned by the devil and by Pilate to abuse Jesus publicly. Now as long as they didn't kill him, it was allowed by the Roman government to take a, a prisoner and scourge him and beat him to a pulp that they wouldn't have to stay so long by the cross and watch them suffering because that was their time. So all the soldiers, as their routine, abused prisoners. As long as they did not kill him, the Roman government said, go ahead and do whatever you want to to him. Can you imagine the scene? Jesus stands before them. His body is weary from a long night without sleep. His face is swollen like verse 65 of the preceding chapter says, and some began to spit on him after they had the Jewish Sanhedrin false trial and cover his face and buffet him. They put a sack over his head and they started hitting him and saying, tell me who hit you. And saying to him, prophesy and that service did strike him, uh, and the service did strike them with the palms of their hands. That's verse 65 of the preceding chapter. So his face is already swollen, but now he's just been scourged, and his body's bloody, and his flesh hangs in ribbons from his back. The blood pools at his feet. You'd think seeing this that the soldiers would back off. And instead, they played a cruel game. If you'll look at verse 16, it says, and the soldiers led him away, but verse 17 says, and, the, and they clothed him with a purple and plaited a crown of thorns and put it upon his head. They began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him on the head with the reed and did spit upon him and bowing their knees, worshipped him. Now the thorns in the lands of Jesus was not just little bitty thorns like we see on our rose bushes. They were long, about six inches long, and they just made a crown and platted on his head. And then they decided to take a sepulcher and put it in his hand. Then they ripped it out of his hand, and with a rod they started beating him over the head, which drove those thorns into his skull. And I can see him now. This cruel game of mockery with a purple robe on or at least a purple shawl, a cloth, and a crown of thorns. And they were dressing him up like a king out of mockery. They despised him. And he stood there and said nothing. And as they beat him over the head, I believe the spittle and the blood mingled together and dripped over his eyes that just saw people that he loved and, and, and saw people in need and saw you one day in Dalton, Georgia that needed a Savior and that spittle and that blood mingled from that face with the beard had been plucked and he stood there in this cruel game. And folks, let me ask you a question. Is that not what the world does to Jesus today? They mock him. They say, if he's king, why do you have so much trouble? 
if you're king, why are you going through this and that? And, and uh, I listened to the Sunday school lesson very intently this morning as, as uh, Brother uh, Andrew taught it. And I thought to myself, a lot of people are saying a lot of things about Job that's not true, but I want to tell you something. They say a lot of things about Jesus not true. He is king. He is Lord. And he is worthy. And I'll tell you what, he ought to be precious to you because he's sure it into this world. And then third of all, I only see scourging and I see scoffing, but I see smiting. In verse 19, the Bible says, and they smote him on the head. The crown of thorns was driven at his head. And then to, to, have, to add insult to injury, it says this. Uh, in verse 20, it says, And when they had mocked him, mocked him, they took off the purple from him and put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. And so they ripped that purple robe off his back. It was probably already drying from the blood. It's like a band-aid that you take off sometimes. Excruciating pain. They reopened the wounds. And they humiliated Christ and led him down a lonely road to Calvary. Let me just say this, and I'll try not to be belabored too long, but that's God's grace. Because I want to tell you something, that's God's grace in action because you got to remember this, that was God they were beating. That was God that they were mocking. That was God's face they spent upon. It was God they were abusing. And folks, he created these very men. They would not be living and breathing to do that to him if he hadn't created them. He possessed the power to destroy them just merely by thinking about it. As he's already demonstrated when they tried to arrest him, he said, I am, and they were all flat on their back. And so folks, listen. He could have called, as Matthew 26, verse 53 says, 10,000 angels. But he didn't need 10,000. All he had to do is think it. And those men would have been wiped out with their puny little mockery, and smiting, scoffing, scourging. Why did he not wipe them out? Because he loved you. And he loves me. Bless his holy name. Don't get over Calvary. Jesus wore a scarlet robe in Pilate's hall. Before the day would be over, he'd wear your scarlet sins on the cross of Calvary. He that knew no sin became sin for you. That you might be made the righteousness of God in him and there's no other way, say amen. So many people religious but lost. By the way, the people that sent him to the cross was religious but lost. Bible says in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 I was thinking about uh, snowy days and I was praying that it's going to snow on our couples retreat in March um, might as well dream about it say amen um, but I love Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 it reminds me of Calvary he had that purple robe on that crimson robe on and the Bible says in 118 now, come now let us reason together say the Lord though your sins be as scarlet they shall be white as snow, and though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Folks, I want to tell you why he 
wore that robe and did not say one word or even think to wipe out that crowd that was mocking and spitting and beating him because one day he wanted your scarlet sins to be erased. Jesus wore a crown of thorns and according to Genesis chapter 3 verse 17 through 19 the thorns symbolized the curse of sin. He bore the curse. And folks, before the day was over, he'd bear the full weight of the curse of your sin. And he took your curse. He took your sin dead. And he guaranteed you'd be delivered from the curse. Be saved. Romans 8, verse 20 through 22. Read it sometime. But I want to close in a few minutes I got. On verse 21, Jesus not only in the scoffers and and the suffering and the pain, the agony of Jesus and the soldiers. But I want you to see one man named Simon. In verse 21 it says, And they compelled one Simon of Serenia, one pa- passed by coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear the cross, his cross. And they bring him into the place called Gotha, Gotha which is being interpreted the place of the skull. I won't have time to get to the skull. I'll do that Sunday week. But I want you to know that, folks, history teaches us that the condemned man was required to, to carry part of the cross. It was called a platilium to place at the execution. And literally it was the top half of the cross and they were, car- they were to carry that. And the Bible says in, uh, uh, that they compelled one Simon. The word compelled means they forced him. Matthew chapter 5 verse 41 says, that a Jewish man would have to carry a burden if Roman soldiers told him one mile. Jesus said in his sermon, go the extra mile. Go the second mile. We do just enough, don't we? You know, folks, we ought to go the second mile when it comes to carrying the cross. We ought to go the second mile when it comes to serving God. Why? Out of gratitude for being saved because you're going to heaven instead of hell because he took your sin debt. He took literally your hell for you. Jesus said, jump, you ought to say, how high? Amen. And how long? And then after he says it, I think I'll do it again. (laughs) Amen. I love you, Lord. Compelled. When I think of the word compel, uh, as we see in verse 21, and they compelled one Simon. I think of another word that I looked up, uh, the word compel, and it's constrained. He was constrained. You know what ought to constrain us to carry our cross? The love of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 says, The love of God constraineth us. Folks, the love of God ought to move you. The love of God ought to move you to be faithful. Whatever you love, it moves you. Say amen. I guarantee you, uh, some of you Braves fans, it don't matter what happens Thursday, you're going to plan your whole week around watching them play in that playoff game. I'll be teaching at a couple's retreat, so I'll take it. But anyway, let me tell you this. Let me just say this. God help you. If you put more effort and more time into something like that, because none of those guys died for you. None of those guys were sped upon. Matter of fact, they'd sue you if you sped upon them. Amen? And then if you don't come out and cheer, they might, they might change teams on you and ask for another hundred million. I ain't preaching against baseball. I'm just preaching against putting it before God. Come on, say amen. Y'all didn't like that. All you tomahawk choppers. But listen, compelled, compelled. Ought to be constrained. Folks, Jesus should be precious to us. And folks, listen, 
the most degrading act imaginable was for Simon to take that cross. His selection was he just happened to be there. And God said, hey, the Roman soldiers said, hey, carry the cross. And I believe that day changed Simon's life forever. And I believe if you'd ever see the cross and touch the cross and let the cross touch you, and I'm not talking about just that wooden execution chair, but I'm talking about the one that died on the cross for you, you will never, never be the same. If you could just get a glimpse of Calvary for a minute, you'd never be the same. You wouldn't have to be begged to serve God. You'd beg somebody to let you serve God. You would be faithful and you would be steadfast. You would be selfless. You'd be sacrificial. You'd be submissive. See, the carrying the cross branded a person from taking the Passover they were rendered ceremonially unclean. And for Simon, the Passover was over the minute he touched the cross because that was a place of death, of execution. And then they compelled him was with an idea of force, but I want to tell you something, folks. The cross is associated with something else besides uh, uh, just, just being ceremonially unclean. It was shame. He's minding his own business. He's walking down the road. He's the father of Alexander and Rufus. Aren't you glad your mama didn't become so spiritual that she named you Rufus when you was a little baby? Say amen. I thought Wayne was a bad name, but Rufus, boy, mercy. Thank God, I'm glad my mama didn't get that scriptural, amen. Rufus Cofield is preaching this morning. No, anyway, but Rufus. And Alexander is mentioned many times in the scripture. Many times, in Romans. Uh, they became servants of God. They must have been touched by daddy's salvation and daddy's surrender and daddy's uh, priority. And I want to tell you something, folks. If you don't believe it or not, daddies influence their daughters and sons to serve God. But more than that, more important than that, daddies, you, you move your children to carry their, his cross. Carry his cross. I want to just dwell on that for a few minutes. Folks, bearing his cross. Bear, what's it mean? What's it mean to bear his cross? Brother Darrell, remember that great sermon we heard by St Stephen Sparks up in Sand Mountain? It touched your heart particularly. And that was about 25 years ago, maybe 20. I don't know when it was. It was a long time ago. Brother Steve Sparks not even in the ministry now. And he preached on cross-bearing to us men up there in Sand Mountain. And I mean God moved. Cross-bearing. I don't even remember the sermon, but I just remember God used cross-bearing. What is it, what's it mean to, to, to bear your cross? Well, I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, and I believe you'll see it. Hebrews 12, 2. The Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we're also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. I'll read verse 1 while you're getting there. Let us lay aside every weight, and the sin, which is unbelief, because it goes with verse 11, chapter 11, these sin which so does easily beset you. Let us run with patience the race that's set before us. I've heard this preach that there's everybody's got a, one sin that just really besets them. But I won't tell you the sin that really besets us all. Unbelief. Unbelief. But I want you to look at verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Amen. He's the author and finisher of our faith. You'd be going to hell if it wasn't for Jesus. 
He ought to be precious to you. You ought to love Jesus. You got rope burns, but your wife had to drag you to church this morning. You ought to get right with God or get saved one. God help you. You have to be made to go to church. You have to schedule church in your little schedule and pluck him in when you get a chance. God help you. For using Jesus as emergency rations instead of daily bread. Say amen. And I'll say this and say it publicly. A lot of people get all stirred up around a funeral, but I want to tell you something. What counts is what you do after the funeral. Amen. We get all emotional, and we get all emotional about heaven and hell. But I want to tell you something, folks. God ought to change our life about the brevity of life and about the preciousness of life. And most important of all, about the preciousness of Jesus because we'd all be in hell, including all our loved ones, if it hadn't been for Jesus. We just go around just, you know, treating Jesus like emergency rations. And if, if, hey, God, if I need you, I'll call you. Let me just get a little perturbed right here and say, hey, listen, y'all put God first in the good times. Because the only reason you're having a good time is because of Jesus. Every blessing from above. Look at this verse 2. I'll stop meddling. Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, what? Endured the cross. Listen to this. Despising the what? Shame. And is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be weary and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted the blood strive against, striving against sin. I'll stop right there and say this. Friend, bearing the cross means you've got to bear his shame. I said you've got to bear his shame. Let me repeat that. You've got to bear his shame. Folks, being a Christian is not for wimps. Being a Christian is not for sissies. Being a Christian is not for weak at heart. Folks, it takes courage and commitment to be a good Christian. Amen. And folks, when you touch the cross and you bear the cross and when you identify with the Lamb of the cross... The world's not going to love you and accept you as number one politician of the day. They're not going to say you're king and they're not going to elect you probably to some public office. And you're not going to be popular and the house is not going to be packed. But I want to tell you something, friend. We need to stand for God no matter what. And no matter what it costs us, there is a cost to bear the cross. And it's not packed either in a little Christmas play. And I'm not against that. It's an old rugged cross. And that cross represents the death of Jesus for your sin. When Simon tested, there was a shame put upon him. He compelled him. It brings reproach. Bearing the cross brings reproach. Turn to Matthew 16, 24. Matthew 16, 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples. I'll wait on you. Matthew. And then said Jesus unto his disciples. If any man will come after me, let him what? Deny himself. Now that's really hard. I want to tell you something. Most of the time, self's on the throne. 
You know, most of the time people live for their self. Most people are concerned about themselves. Most people will not do anything that will inconvenience their self. So self gets in the way, say amen. But when you, when you carry your cross, you got to deny yourself. It says, and take up the, it says, and it says, come after me. It says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. That means surrender. When Simon picked up that cross that they were about to nail on the cross, the upright part, he was surrendering to authority. He was surrendering to the commands of the Roman government. But folks, more than that, he was surrendering to God because God knew his son had to go all the way to the cross. And he was out of blood, he was out of energy, he was out of life almost, he was trying to get there, and folks, God used Simon to pick up the cross. Amen. It's a place of surrender. It's a place of sacrifice. Folks, don't say you're bearing your cross if you're not going to give your entertainment to God, if you're not going to give your activities to God, if you're not going to give your home life to God, if you're not going to give your children to God. Praying for my grandchildren over in South Africa, and I thought about what they're facing. God brought some new things to my heart they're facing. And I thought to myself, oh God, oh God, please protect them. Help them in their every decision. Help them in their relationships. Help them in their their safety. God, help them to be useful. I saw Luke pushing some guy in a wheelchair and they had um, over three or four hundred people come to a medical clinic. and They had hundreds of people saved at Count Rhino. And now, Miss Brunella, let me announce this. Brother Mark's thinking he's going to have to open up a medical clinic now. Praise God. we got to open up a clinic, praise the Lord. So he's going to kill everybody before he, before he finishes all his missions. Amen. Praise God for him. I like it. But I mean, 15 doctors and nurses Amy fed last week. Exhausted to the bone, she said. 50, I mean almost 50 doctors and nurses was staying at Camp Rhino ministering to hundreds because everybody wants to come get well, free. And thank God for those doctors and nurses who are not so high aloof that they can't go to a mission field and give their talents. They were pulling teeth right and left. They had dentists there and uh, Luke and Emily and uh, all pulling teeth. And I know uh, Mark enjoyed that. Just pull them all, praise God. Amy, pulling teeth. Folks, it takes surrender. Knowing his drive, he could be the richest businessman in Dalton, Georgia if he wanted to be, or Alpharetta, or wherever he lived. He could have the nicest four-story house you've ever seen. Swimming pool in the back if they wanted it. Hallelujah. Could be driving a Mercedes Benz, or at least a Lexus. Or at least a Toyota, say amen. <laughs> Praise God. But folks are doing the eternal. That's picking up your cross. And I said this and I'll say it publicly. If Mark took all my, my daughter and my grandkids over there for business, I would have kicked his rear end and said, no, you're not. I'd have put my foot down. 
He wouldn't have liked where I put it down either. I said, you ain't going over there. That's to make money. But he says, I'm going for Jesus. What am I supposed to say? God bless you, son. God bless you. Pick up your cross. Pick up your cross means you're going to be a little inconvenient. You're going to have to sacrifice. You're going to have to surrender. You've got to get your priorities right. Simon's life was never the same. And I guarantee you this, he could have wrote the fourth verse of 113. He could have wrote it. I'll bear the cross. And I love him. And I thank you for him. Let me just close. Picking up the cross means you'll please God instead of yourself. You'll sacrifice. You'll surrender self. You'll submit to God's word. You'll be selfless. You'll die to self. But most important of all, you'll please him. That's carrying your cross. I don't know about you, but I don't want to just be a Christian. And that's a great title. And it's a great privilege. I want to be a cross bearer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this message. It has spoken to my heart. I thank you, dear Lord, that I believe Simon was never the same because you set up that amazing appointment just like you did the woman at the well, just like you did with the Ethiopian eunuch, just like you did with the thief on the cross. You put him right next to Jesus. But you put Simon, maybe his wife, and Alexander and old Rufus right next to the cross. And you touched them. And I believe you saved them. I thank God that I had a mother that got me to the cross. I'm glad I, got, I had a mother say, hey, listen, you ain't going to sleep in on Sunday morning. You're going to the place that preaches the cross. You're going to the place that preaches Calvary. You're not going to turn out like your old daddy. You're going to be a Christian. And Lord, I thank you that you called me not only to be a Christian, but you called me to be a cross bearer. And Lord, for these 42, 46 years of full-time ministry, it's been a joy. It's been a privilege. It's been an honor. It's not always been roses. My heart has been ripped out. and My family's been hurt. But God, I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't trade carrying the old rugged cross. I wouldn't trade the life of serving you for anything. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege. 